Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. 28 more players across the NFL placed on the COVID-19 reserve list today. Outkick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us this afternoon across the network. Uh, Mark Maskey from the Washington Post uh, tweets this out. The issue of allowing vaccinated players who test positive but don't have symptoms to play was raised today by uh, Pro Football Talk. And the NFL is now clearly hoping to move in that direction with its prospective plan to allow such players to rejoin team activities with one negative test. Um, And then uh, Dr. David Chow, uh, pro football doc uh, from OutKick, chimes in and says, the return rules were already relaxed by only requiring one negative PCR test and one other test. Uh, He says, this is an interesting development. In the meantime, Monday will be the big COVID watch day with league-wide testing at the start of each week now. I'm not sure if teams have a designated day. I'm assuming, I thought the league would test on the same day every week. Well, I think most teams do it the day they're back after their game, yeah. which is Monday for most teams. Some teams are off Monday, come back Tuesday. Nonetheless, uh, a mess that they're trying to sort out as they try to get the season complete. Four games to play in the regular season, extra game, and then the postseason where you have 14 teams getting in seven from each conference. Uh, Paul, what did Vrabel and Tannehill have to say today? Well, uh, I wrote a piece about uh, is is the mental mental stuff adding up for Tannehill as he's getting hit and sacked more and more and more. He said he doesn't think so, you know, which is what you expect him to say. You know that he works hard for that not to be the case. You mean like he's feeling pressure? Well, that you look at the game differently. I, yeah, the, yeah. the question I asked John McClain yesterday, you know, when you, you're getting sacked 37 times or whatever it is, and you're getting hit as much mm-hmm. as you're getting hit, that you look at the game differently um, because you're expecting stuff to come. So the physical wear and tear, but also the mental wear and tear, we talked a little bit about that. I thought he took the question well, but I talked to other 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 people about it um, as well. Vrabel, of course, to that question said, I don't know how to answer that. Um <laughs> He didn't know how to answer a question about the tight ends and basically said the tight ends are here to block and you know, hopefully catch the passes that we throw to them. But very much the tight ends are here to block. So he basically concedes that you know when they let Johnny Smith walk, and I'm not saying they should have paid Johnny Smith what they paid Johnny, what, what Johnny Smith got paid in New England, but that they just made uh, just decided the tight ends are blocking position here now. And if they caught a couple balls, so, so be it. Also, in a question about Julio Jones, the first thing he said was about his blocking. So we're back to this, talking about the... Uh, yeah, there's a mentality to it that they they stress. Um, which, which is fine, but this is an offense that... <laughs> that needs that, some plays. That, that needs some plays and that, <laughs> that has some You're guys right. who can make plays. Ferkser did say it's good to get a couple more targets. It's a nice uh, screen pass on, to Jeff Swain. Third down. You want some Tannehill play action yeah. numbers? And Jeff Swaim has done one more thing here. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Byard, 
grew up a big fan of the Steelers, and while he did not have a terrible towel, he did was given as a Christmas present at one point a Troy Palomalu jersey and grew up a huge fan of uh, Troy, Troy Palomalu. Bayer. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, very cool. Dupree off the uh, into his designated window to return. I think he'll play on Sunday. Not on the injury report this week because he's on that list. Practiced it, uh, today. Cunningham, uh, his first practice today. Um, since Derrick Henry's injury, now let me let me start with when Henry was healthy for play action with Tannehill and just pushing the ball down the field. Um, Henry, with Henry, Tannehill this season, forty three of sixty six for six hundred seventy eight yards. Um, and week one, they did it, They did not play action against Arizona. They averaged 9.3 attempts per game on play action with Henry. And since the Henry injury, he is 20 of 29 for 195 yards, and they're averaging six per game without Henry in the lineup. Um, and just to put in perspective what they did against Jacksonville, six for 10 on play action against the Jags for 75 yards. So... Paul, to what you brought up earlier this week about the receivers and the lack of respect and separation. I mean, some of this is Tannehill. Some of this is just you're playing with who you have and they don't have A.J. Brown out there. And Julio Jones is, I don't know what percentage it would be, but I mean, he's healthy enough to play, but how healthy is he? Don't know, but he's giving you what he can. And and hopefully for the Titans' sake, he stays in the lineup. Because beyond him and A.J. Brown, there's really no one that's getting separation anymore. Yeah, Rob Moore said yesterday uh, they don't want to... They don't want to push the envelope with Julio Jones, you know. So they're clearly still measuring him. Oh yeah, they're making sure time it up for the playoffs. That's right. I just think, and I've hit on this consistently. I mean, this idea that you're just going to measure him out, measure him out, measure him out, and then for the playoffs, he's going to flip a switch and you're going to let him loose. And I know I'm looking at at your eyes right now, Chad, and I see what you're thinking is he's coming off the field in the second quarter limping because he's been let loose. I, I just think. You're playing with fire there, thinking it's going to work that way. I mean, maybe that's the best approach to go into the playoffs. That's fine. But to think in the first playoff game, you're just going to automatically get the Julio Jones and he's going to help make everything all right is is ridiculous. What I'm actually thinking, Paul, is I really wish this story would have come out that I'm about to tell you about that, two, before Dan Dockich ago? was on with oh, us. Okay. There is a story. Oh, Urban. I think Hutton has it kicking. now, too. Tampa Bay Times reporting that Urban Meyer kicked Josh Lambeau during a oh, preseason. Well, you answer it for um, – no, that's not – Josh Scobie was my – Oh, Scobie, sorry. Yeah, he's long gone. Go ahead, imitate Dockage and answer for it. So jo- the, 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 let me tell the story first, then I'll, I'll give you my Dockage. Uh, Lambeau says that he was approached by uh, Coach Urban Meyer, who doesn't call Jag specialists by their names. It's simply kicker, punter, long snapper, or S-bag – Dip S, or whatever the hell it was that he wanted to call us in the, in the moment. Says the names didn't bother Lambeau, but what the former Gators coach did next, Lambeau said, were the actions of a mean-spirited bully. I'm in a lunge position, left leg forward, right leg back, Lambeau said. Urban Meyer, while I'm in that stretch position, this is at practice, comes up to me and says, hey, dip bleep, make your bleeping kicks, and he kicks me in the leg. Lambeau spoke for the first time publicly about this, in an interview with the Tampa Bay Times. He says, (laughs) Lambo goes on to say, it certainly wasn't as hard as he could have done it, but it certainly wasn't a love tap either. 
Truthfully, I'd register it as a 5 out of 10, which in the workplace, I don't care if it's football or not, the boss can't strike an employee. And for a second, I couldn't believe it actually happened. Pardon my vulgarity, I said, don't you ever bleeping kick me again. And his response was, I'm the head ball coach. I'll kick you whenever the bleep I want. <laughs> Lambo reported this to team council and never met with them. I didn't, I didn't know what else to see this. He had to take it to team council. What And team council, we don't know what team council did. I did not, a, a media member didn't witness this? That's during stretch. Who's paying attention to the kicker? Well, that's the only stretch? access they get. I know, but I'm, uh, there's 53 guys stretching during stretch. The and, odds uh, that and you're all eyes, so, all of the media are watching Urban Meyer go up and kick a player. My guess I, is they would see it. I also have a hard time believing Lambeau's version of the account. Like it sounds like he kind of Paul. make your hey, <laughs> if, make your kicks and kind if of Vrabel went up and kicked a player. I'm pretty sure people would notice it with as many media members are out there. So Meyer did speak. You're taking attendance. Oh come on! I'm not, I, my eyes are not locked on Mike Vrabel during stretch. No, my, it doesn't well, have to be you individually. Yeah, someone would have seen, would have seen it. it. Someone behind him in lunge position would have seen you know Urban <laughs> Meyer walk up and kick the kicker. This um, is hard to believe. Urban Meyer spoke on this and said, Josh's characterization of me in this instant is completely inaccurate, and there are eyewitnesses to refute his account. General Manager Trent Baalke and I met with him on multiple occasions to encourage his performance, and this was never brought up. I was fully supportive of Josh during his time with the team and wish him nothing but the best. Well, what I am on board for is a story like this every day oh, me that, too. that Urban has to answer. Like, I, uh, yeah, just the, make the, it uncomfortable. Yeah, the account of the, this incident was completely wrong and inaccurate. And here's how it went down. He just has to answer something every day like this. And so, uh, and just so another report every day. Up. He's got to bring up Balky or, yeah. I mean, uh, or one the, of these additional I coaches s- who he's bitched out. I never slapped Trevor Lawrence. I mean, the stories <laughs> from this and just the, the if you're just listening to the show right now, just the, the visuals it gives you of these interactions. Meyer approached Lambeau the next day in the nutritional aisle at the team's training <laughs> said, facility. Here, have the smoothie that's revolutionizing <laughs> this smoothie. team. While making a smoothie. That Lambeau says, Meyer sees me and I'm by myself and he kind of cornered me and comes up to me and says, are you going to put a smile on that face? <laughs> I said, I'll smile when you stop kicking me. It's a good comeback. <laughs> Are you going to put a smile on that face with the head coach, the kicker? Is yeah, because really Urban smiles a lot. Yes. Yeah, he needs his players smiling to live up to his standards of facial expressions. I just have a hard time believing that it was a like a, an angry kick. I don't. I believe anything bad about Urban Meyer. I mean, you think he just walked up to his kicker and kicked him in the leg while he was stretching? Yeah. And when did this I happen? Think he does dumb stuff. When did this happen? I think it was. Uh, it happened after the second preseason game, the week leading up to the third preseason game against Dallas. That's how you get a kicker kicking better is to kick him in the leg. <laughs> I mean, that is, it's just to me, it's far fetched to believe that in the preseason that no one saw this and he had to take it to council. Rejoining I, I us now. I think it's a poor attempt to like you know messing with him. Like he's sitting there stretching, he's walking through everyone. He, hey, make your bleeping kicks. Oh, look who's and back! He just on. kicks him on the leg, and Lambo took it like he got, you know, a, a legitimate angry kick. Oh, look who's calling back on Zoom. Dan Dockich is back <laughs> to uh, to defend well, Urban Meyer against these allegations by Josh Lambo. Can Lambeau. you imagine, Dan, Dan? What happened? I mean, come on, this uh, 
Paul, I, I play for Bobby Knight, the general. You think a little kick, a little love tap, kick to the kicker? You know what I saw? Bobby Knight would choke kids. I mean, come on. I, <laughs> this is coaching today. We've gotten so soft as Americans, we can't, we can't handle a, a coach kicking a guy. I mean, this guy's sitting right there missing kicks. you got to kick him sometimes. Thanks, Dan. Good to see you again. Lambo is the good to be back. third most accurate kicker in NFL history. Is he really? Behind uh, Justin Tucker and Harrison Butker. I never would have guessed that in a million years. Would you? <laughs> no. Is he on a team? <laughs> he's. Well, I think he's with Pittsburgh. Okay. He's not their main kicker right now, Pittsburgh. Is he on their practice squad then? I don't know. He was with Pittsburgh at some point in 2021. Um, because Boswell. But also, is it Boswell? Boswell, but it also um, he was with Jacksonville in the preseason, and he's on the downturn of his career. Maybe because Urban Meyer kicked him in the leg. Yeah, he's hurting. What do you think about this, Reed? No, I'm just, I'm having a hard time. First of all, Boswell's this, this just kicker. goes to Urban Meyer's lack of history of Jacksonville Jaguars and their kickers and yeah. punters and stuff, and the incidences that happened in locker rooms. But the fact that <laughs> he, he is the third most accurate kicker in – NFL history, and he got cut from Jacksonville. Yeah, isn't this, this weird? This, tends, this explore makes another me direction. Tend, this makes me tend to believe his story that something was up after all of this. And I just picture him like all the people that he doesn't respect, uh, all the special teamers. He's just like hazing, and he's in the locker room at night, like brushing Trevor Lawrence's hair, <laughs> <laughs> like Marsha Brady, <laughs> and just Marshall, stroking Marshall, his, stroking Marshall. his locks. Oh, that's a great visual. But so, so, but let's just let's break this down again because again, it's hard to believe that he would take this to counsel, player counsel, which would they already by this point they're already complaining. To the to the PA about practice time. This is around the you know this is around the time the fine came out, right? Preseason. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It is. And so so you're you're telling me that a player would come up to counsel and say, "Hey, Herb just kicked me," <laughs> and they're not going to do anything about it. The player, he the, said, uh, through uh, his the legal agent. counsel, <laughs> through his the agent Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> now now in the news, the the uh, Jaguars senior vice president and chief legal officer is mega. Parekh, mm-hmm. uh, she's in her eighth season with the organization. Never been in the headlines before that I can remember. Named general counsel on March first, twenty thirteen. Here she is, a relatively young woman. So that's probably who, never been called in on something like a player being kicked so by the coach you? before. Yeah. <laughs> well, got some, and let me close the door. Let me close the door, Josh. We need to get into this a little further. So Lambo says he Lambo says he did. He said through his agent they reached out to legal counsel, but he has not met with them. Doesn't say that she, you know, she would not meet with him. That he's just declined to meet. Hello, uh, <laughs> this is Mega Perez. <laughs> I'm sorry, he kicked who? <laughs> he kicked the kicker. I'm gonna need to call you back. So you kicked? Yeah, I gotta kicker. go talk to Trent Nurbin. I'll, I'll call you back in a little while. Thank you. Coming up, we get the very latest on what Josh Heupel has done and his staff has done. For National Signing Day, Chad, there's plenty of news to discuss because Heupel has surprised today after not expecting that they would climb to the ranks where they currently are. Is Tennessee back? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. We're going to find back? out. Is that enough. the website? Well, I'll say this. It is remarkable uh, what uh, Josh Heupel has done with this class considering where they started with all the NCAA problems. I always thought this, this year was kind of a throwaway. And now, in, according to rivals, they're 10th in the nation. In recruiting. So we'll talk to Austin Sweet. Price about all of it. We will get into uh, all of the details with Austin Price from VolQuest.com. That is next on Outkick 360. 
Coming up in 10 minutes, we'll discuss Steelers and Titans from the Steelers' perspective. We'll put in perspective what Najee Harris is and is not doing well for their offense. And we'll get into some first down and first half numbers for Pittsburgh's offense. Right now, though, we welcome you back to Outkick 360 by saying hello to Austin Price of VolQuest.com. Big day in recruiting for Josh Heupel and his staff. Austin, we appreciate the time today ahead of our, our normal visit on Friday. Got that backdrop uh, today, too, yeah, in the indoor beautiful, facility. Beautiful. Love it. Uh, how would you describe what Heupel and his staff have, have accomplished today based on what you may have expected when the week started? Well, I thought they would be between 10 and – or between 15 and 25 nationally, uh, you know, back when the football season started. Um, for them to end up as high as 10 and as low as 15 by all three kind of major, uh, you know, outlets to cover recruiting across the recruiting landscape, I thought that was a huge deal. I think the, the close today and really the close for the last several weeks, when you think about adding, you know, Caleb Webb, Joshua Josephs, Jordan Thomas, um, and then today Justin Williams um, adding a guy like Tyree West, where it's a huge win for Rodney Garner. And then to me, the, it's the crown jewel for me. I, I think James Pierce is unbelievably talented. And to get him to sign early and not wait till February was a huge win for Josh Heifel, a massive win for Mike Eckler and this staff. So, you know, for me, I, I think it's a huge, huge close. They've got to build on that in 2023. But where this program was just nine, ten months ago and, and, and where they are now as far as, you know, the landscape, the outlook, the recruiting, uh, you know, kind of outlook, it, it's a big difference. And to see them there at number 10 is, is crazy. And, and the climb today, you mentioned Justin Williams, the first domino to fall. Uh, Tyree West, I want to ask specifically about him. Where do you see him playing along the defensive line, Austin? And what exactly happened with Tyree West and, and Georgia? He's almost a five-star prospect, but I know there was kind of a mutual parting of ways with Georgia at some point. Yeah, I really do think that in, in some instances, you know, kids move on in some instances – schools you know process kids and this one i really think that that this was a mutual parting of the ways i think he wanted to take some visits and just kind of look around and georgia had other guys that were willing to want to come and it was kind of like hey if you want to take visits that's fine but we're gonna go ahead and move on and, it, and he was good with that um you know was really close with kenyatta watson who's on the staff at florida state in an off the field role um but you, this one's all rodney garner rodney garner gets this one done down the stretch. He's known this kid since freshman year when he visited Auburn. There's a relationship there, and kudos to Coach, Coach G for getting that one done. Um, where does he play, Chad? I mean, he could play on the edge uh, as an end. He could also slide inside and play tackle. Everybody's going to want to compare him to Walter Nolan. Totally different players. Walter Nolan's more girthy. Tyree West, not that. He is, he's, he's a bigger kid. He's 275, 280, but he's also a guy that's got a little bit more speed uh, than, than Walter does. Was there any uh, late charge on Walter Nolan who who finally uh, committed to AM? No, no late charge. You know, Walter signed this afternoon with, with Texas AM, which wasn't surprising. He went back down there this past weekend. To me, like all the talk of him waiting till February um, kind of got squashed when he went back to College Station um, this past weekend. Justin Williams, the, the running back, um, is that a guy that can play immediately? in Tennessee's backfield, or is it, is it more of a developmental player? I think they believe he can play right away. I mean, he's bigger, he's smart. I mean, he's going to be the valedictorian out of 600 seniors there uh, at East Paulding. And then when you think about, like, where they are uh, as a backfield, they needed a bigger back near the end of the season. So this was a huge win um, for Jerry Mack 
to get to get Justin Williams. They had to battle Auburn down the stretch. But, yeah, I think he can play right away. The kid's going to be a, a pre-med major. And he'll be out here on Friday, depending on the weather. It could be on this field right behind me, or it could be, um, you know, out there on the Haslam practice field. Either way, he's rolling in for practice come Friday, and uh, Jerry Mack will get a chance to coach him for the very first time. If Rodney Garner was a star of, of National Signing Day for, for Tennessee and what happened today, who's next in line that, that really maybe not even surprised you but did a great job with this class? Well, I, you know, I think Brian Jean-Marie did a really good job with Joshua Josephs. I think Mike Eckler did a nice job early on with someone like, um, you, know, uh, you know, Tyree West, but then turns it on as I've got my posse. Oh, here. there I see how's uh, behind you. you. Know. <laughs> <laughs> Hubber, Hubber, hope you're doing well, bro. He's, he's, he's got a goatee, guys. And, and it's something yeah. his wife likes. He's keeping it. Uh, he just needs a little Clyde <laughs> Frazier just for men to make it a little darker. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I go I go, Mike Eckler because I think James Pierce closing that out is huge. I'm just I, – I, maybe I'll look foolish in a couple of years, but, you know, I, I think that you're going to look back and go, man – if they let that thing, you know, get to, to January or February and it got dicey and lost that kid, man, what would have happened to Tennessee football? Like, I think he's that kind of game changer off the edge. Um, and so, for me, like, Eckler, Brian Jean-Marie, I, I, again, so much goes into, like, hey, is, is Josh Heupel a bad recruiter? Everybody says he's a bad recruiter. Uh, you know, guess what? It's a team game. It's a team game in recruiting for coaches. You know, yes, Josh Heupel's got to help close the deal, but coaches also got to, you know, get the horse to drink the water, too. So, like, it works hand-in-hand. And I think this staff worked hand-in-hand hand pretty well, especially to close, because this easily could have not been a strong close. But instead, I think it's a really solid close. And now they got to go to the portal, go get Jared Verse, go get a bigger defensive tackle in the portal, go get a, a potentially another wide receiver in the portal, get another corner in the portal. That's where Tennessee will lean. And then they'll lean on some other guys, um, you know, in that second signing period. Maybe E.J. Lightsey, who was former Florida commit. Um, you know, Ahmad Moten, the South Florida defensive lineman. All those will be guys that Tennessee looks at come that January, February signing period. Austin Price from VolQuest.com joins us from the Tennessee practice facility. You can follow him on Twitter at Austin Priceless. Austin, across the country, uh, we can we can tie in name, image, likeness to where some of these players and kids ended up going. Did NIL ha- play a big factor in what Hypel accomplished today at all? Well, I mean, I think it's playing a factor across every school. Um, you know, it, and to think it's not, it's foolish. Um, you know, it's so much of it is the promise once they get there of, hey, you know, there's opportunities here. And, and kids, you know, to be able to see like things that, you know, uh, current Tennessee players have. I mean, if you're if you're Alabama and you're recruiting or you're not pitching, hey, man, Bryce Young, $1.6 million in this first year of NIL. What can he make next year as the Heisman Trophy winner? What could you make as potentially the guy or potentially the Heisman Trophy winner down the road? Same that way with, you know, I mean, look at, you know, I mean, we all, it's much ballyhooed the Travis Hunter deal today. Mm-hmm. I mean, that kid, that's all NIL. I mean, nobody's picking Jackson State over Florida State without some kind of money guarantee. And, uh, hey, you know, kudos to, to Jackson State and them for going and, and figuring out a way. Is Cade Mays on his way to that 700K that he asked for on the show with you, Austin, uh, to come back to Tennessee? Said he wanted fourth-round money. Uh, if he was going to uh, uh, bypass the NFL draft this year, is, is that in the works now? I, I, by the way, I think it's brilliant. And, and I don't think he's going to be the last upperclassman that says, hey, if I'm a fourth or fifth round pick, I like it here in school. I'll come back and play, but let's find something that with NIL where I can make some money to do so. 
Yeah, we'll see. I mean, again, I mean, you look across college football and, and you know, there's just not that many people making that kind of money. I mean, somebody might have, you know, 50000 the, the lineman for Texas getting $50,000. Yeah, there's the Bryce Youngs of the world. And even a guy like Quinn Ewers, you know, everybody talked about the million dollars at, at Ohio State. But most of those deals that were talked about are talked about like over a three, four-year deal, like not a one-year deal. And so, um, you know, for me, like, we'll see if Cade comes back. I mean, obviously, you know, in certain situations, he would like to come back. But, you know, uh, at this point, I still – he said 50-50 last night. I still say 25% chance that he's back in orange. How active do you think Tennessee's going to be in the, the transfer portal? Is, is it going to be similar to last year in terms of the haul they bring in? And you, you mentioned the positions they're going to be targeting. But do, do you see this – I know with every team it's, it's going to be somewhat consistent – but is this is Tennessee going to be one of the more active players in the transfer market year in and year out? Yeah, that's going to be a yearly thing where you know kids leave here and go into the portal, and then Tennessee adds players from the portal. That'll be every school. Um, you know, when you look at, at college football, how it's you know you know being you know played now, it's being played um, you know through the one time through the one time transfer, through the transfer portal, through the NIL. Uh, and potential NIL deals. So that, that's something that all college coaches will have to adjust to. And the ones that fight it will struggle, and the ones that embrace it and roll with it will thrive. And uh, I think Josh Heupel and company will be very active in the portal. Um, but if they can add the right kind of high school prep players, you know, to their roster that may be available, like an Ahmad Moten, like I talked about, or EJ Lightsey, we'll see about those guys come January. Um, but if they're able to add them, I think that, that Tennessee would still like to go that route. You can't live in the portal, but you still have to be very active in it because you never know who's going to go in the portal and you never know who may come back to you that maybe you missed out on. I think it's as important if you finish runner-up or third for a, a prospect now to end on good terms because you could end up getting that player back in a year or two. Austin Price, VolQuest.com has you covered on National Signing Day and more with anything Tennessee athletics related, uh, especially Tennessee football Awesome. We appreciate it. Uh, we look forward to Friday catching up with you and Brent. We'll go in detail even further with all this. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Yep, thank Thanks. you. Thanks, awesome Austin Price with a nice report there on what's been a very nice day for uh, Josh Heupel and company well, in and, Knoxville. You know, the t- according to rivals, the 10th best class in the country, fourth in the SEC behind the one, two, and three classes nationally with Alabama, Georgia, A&M. That's great. I mean, in, in year one, this is really year one in terms of a full year of recruiting for Josh Heupel, to not even have that full year because they self-imposed the first two weekends, I think, of the season where they didn't bring recruits on campus. Um, It's a great job by him. I'm reading some of the quotes from Heupel, and he said, in the beginning, it was really introducing ourselves to these guys. None of them knew who we were because we weren't recruiting a lot of them before. And then once we got them here and could show them what we're all about and they could talk to our players, it got a lot easier. Uh, for for guys to understand, oh, this is what it's like there. This is what they're doing. Uh, great job by Josh Heupel and his staff. And Austin's right. I mean, I haven't heard any bad stories about Josh Heupel in terms of recruiting or him as a recruiter. But if you align yourself with the right staff, the head coach needs to be able to recruit. Don't get me wrong. But if you're not just a disaster in recruiting and you get the right assistance you can be a good recruiting program. How much is today a sense of relief because it was the one long-term question? Is this enough to give you assurances that it's going to be okay? Or is this just uh, uh, 
enough to to pause the concern. I think it's uh, I think it eliminates a lot of the concern, and for this reason, they only got two guys from the state of Tennessee out of these twenty in this class: Elijah Herring from Murfreesboro Riverdale and uh, Cameron Miller out of Memphis. Next year's class is loaded, the twenty twenty three class in the state of Tennessee. So it's kind of two sided here. One, they got to do better in the state than they did this year. Two, everybody's in the state next year. Mm-hmm. I mean, half of the class could be in the state of Tennessee. So the fact that they were able to get a top five SEC class going out of state for pretty much everyone for 18 of their 20 signings, I think that's a good sign. So you have a better year with more success and then recruit guys who are watching it up close. Should go well. I, I don't know if you're in the state of Tennessee – and you play offense. I mean, there's a lot get, of reasons to go play for Josh Heupel in Tennessee right now, and especially with NIL, if sold the right way, being a kid from the state, staying in state, playing for Tennessee, there's a lot of a marketing appeal to that for the right players, especially players that touch the football. And there's going to be a lot of guys touching the football <laughs> with the amount of plays Tennessee's going to run in every game. So I, I think it's very appealing right now. And I'll also give a shout-out to Clark Lee who I think did a very nice job. The last I checked, I think they were 30th nationally in recruiting. They're ahead of Florida. Yeah, ahead of Florida and ahead of Ole Miss. Wow. I think ahead of Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. So nice job with not a lot to show. That's a tough sale. That was a, that was a rough season. So even facility-wise, they're selling a vision on the resources they're getting now, the commitment from the university, but they don't really have anything to show yet. So nice job of... Clark Lee and his staff selling their vision of what Vanderbilt could become because there's really nothing to show on the field for it right now. Titans will uh, travel to Heinz Field and take on the Steelers this Sunday. Uh, yesterday, I, I pointed out Najee Harris with his sixty over 60 receptions, 800 yards rushing, nice season. But doing some digging uh, late last night on just what, what all he's doing in, in year number one with Pittsburgh, it's not as... I, I, he's been a very good player. It's not as impressive as what I thought it was on the surface level. And, and here's a for instance. Harris has the lowest receiving yardage total of any player in the NFL with 60 or more catches. Short, short, short. Short. Um, 17 players have over 150 carries this season. Uh, Harris has the second fewest yards per carry of that group. And he leads the entire NFL in carries for two or fewer yards. Now, that is an indictment of his offensive line. That's not all on Najee Harris. I think that that shows you that up front, they are really lacking what we've typically seen from the Steelers' offensive fronts. But he has 108 carries for two or fewer yards on the season. That's, that's quite a bit of not moving the pile very far. And the Titans will, uh, it should you know, be right there yes. on that with their defensive front being a strength. So, uh, well, I, I want to point this out though. He's on pace to break Franco Harris's rookie mark for the Steelers, um, in, in rookie rushing yardage. So it's not like it's it's just oh, a terrible. So he's very good player, and he's had a, a nice impact for their offense. But he's, I mean, when but you also look, Franco Harris must not have had a terrific rookie year he rushed for over just over a thousand yards which was the mark of the time right but it's not the mark of this time right um the Steelers are are really intriguing because on one hand you can find things that they do really well 
which Paul, you mentioned yesterday, the fourth quarters, but there's, there's like 48% of, the, of their points. Yeah. Some of the time they're, you know, going and digging up some, some things here. They, they average, uh, on average, they've trailed by seven points entering the fourth quarter, uh, this season. And their game breakdown, if you go just games going into the fourth quarter, uh, they trailed 10 to six, 16 to seven, 24, seven, 27, 10, they led 24 to 6, they led 17-14, trailed 10 to 9. All of the, I can keep going. All this averages out to roughly 7 points on the scoreboard that they need to make up. And they do that um, and, and you know a handful of these games because they they're piling on points in the fourth quarter. They have the second worst first down offense in the league. They average just 133 yards in the first half which is the second fewest on average of any team in the NFL. I mean, there are a lot of bad teams in the NFL this year. That's bad. Pittsburgh, it, when you compare them, just first half yardage, they're really bad. Um, they're only in front of the New York Jets in terms of first half yardage. They start so slow, this is but they make up the for Jaguars, it as they go. Jaguars, Detroit, and Houston. Think about that. Um, just to put that in comparison, so they, they're averaging 133 yards. Seven teams average around 200, or 192 plus, and they are really lacking uh, 60 yards behind all that. I mean, big drives. And if you add in the third quarter, they average 10 and a half points in the first three quarters, 211 yards. They're not going to put up a lot of points. That, that's uh, remarkably bad. I, I mean, that's, uh, th- those, I'm that's surprised. bottom four in the league. I'm surprised at how bad that is. Bottom four in the league. And again, you can rattle off four terrible teams. Uh, without but much it's, effort. It's bizarre, though, because in the fourth quarter, as you pointed Come out, life. they average 10 points per game in the fourth quarter alone, and they average 110 yards of offense in the fourth quarter. I, it's weird. And it sounds I don't know like why it's not they, padded by blowout comeback right. stuff. They've not That's, been by the way, th- those numbers, I've been comparing them to the bottom of the league in the first three quarters. Those numbers for the fourth are the second best in the NFL. That's not just good. I mean, they're... They're the best. They're they're at the top of the league in the fourth quarter offense. Think about the amount of conversation that's generated in Pittsburgh on on uh, talk shows up there about their inability to to take that fourth quarter stuff and pull it into the third and into the first half. Must be maddening to be a fan of that team right now, knowing that they've got fourth quarter capacity that they can't they can't find it in the third or in the first half. And just comparing Tannehill to Roethlisberger's numbers as bad as Tannehill seems to be, you know, touchdown interception ratio, all that, really down year compared to what we've seen in Tennessee from Tannehill. Roethlisberger's so much worse. Uh, he's 23rd in passing touchdowns, 21st in yards, 25th in passer rating, 25th in passer rating. What's the number? Ben Roethlisberger. 70s I did, I, or 80s? I can look this I've, up I've to get it. specific. It right but yeah, it's, it's not good. Um, and these are not like selective stats to make Pittsburgh look bad. Um, they rank 28th in rushing yards per game this season. That's their that's Pittsburgh's identity Forever. and mentality has been running the football and great all-out defense, and that's really failed them this year. They have not been able to stay consistent there or really get any momentum going in the run game. They did beat Denver earlier this season, but Denver's uh, offense just really struggled in the first half, and I'm comparing that because – Denver's defense is so stout. You know what? Ben's rating isn't, isn't too bad. It's a 92.1 passer rating. 25th. 19, oh, I, I should point this out. Those 19 are the, TDs, 17 in the, the fourth quarter boosts that because he's 25th in passer rating over the first three quarters. Yeah. Like 19 really TDs, bad 17 starting. interceptions. That's compared to Tannehill's 14-13, right? 
Yeah. And Tannehill's passer ratings down in the low 80s. I don't I, I don't know what to expect from Pittsburgh in this game. Is why I'm setting all this no, I up. I think they're going to put up a good fight. I I think we're in for a good game here. Low scoring? Uh You think it's a slugfest like we If it's a good game it's going to be low scoring. It's got to be low scoring, yeah. If you're predicting a good game it's going to be oh, low scoring. Oh, when I say low scoring I mean like extremely low scoring. Like you think this is t- played in the teens? Uh, yeah, I think maybe the winner scores 20 21. If the Titans score twenty twenty one, they're set up by the defense for for one of them, I would think. And and the Titans right now need, you know, to count on their defense to set them up for a score in a game in a tough game. And they beat Baltimore on a day where Lamar Jackson was not at his best. They sacked Lamar Jackson seven times in that game. Wow. Um. They 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 had a really good strategy against Lamar Jackson too, which um. People are having easier routes to and, and might again, but with his limited mobility if he in fact plays. Well, and they, you know, they they scored on three straight possessions to beat Baltimore. I mean, their offense, again, uh, in some big moments, they've played okay. And then, you know, you look at the other numbers, you're like, oh, here's why they're 500. Here's why they're a 500 team and why you're not buying them as a postseason contender. But they're right square in the in the middle of it, along with that entire division right now. Yeah, and they stand, you know, if they win this game against the Titans, they stand to benefit or have benefited from a Saturday result where nobody's expecting the Browns that's right. to be able to sustain a loss of 17 guys yeah, that's a great against point. the Raiders. Because the Steelers will be watching the Browns on Saturday, and that result Titans impacts them. The and the Titans watch the second game with the Colts and the Patriots. Uh, we continue to talk some Titans football when we return. I'll kick 360 rolls on. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell has uh, talked with the media at the league meetings that are ongoing. I'll kick 360 rolls on. The quote, uh, Albert Breer uh, sending out this quote on the, the league's COVID-19 search, quote from Goodell. The thing that made us successful is keeping safety first and second, be willing to adapt at all times. That's the quote, and uh, he goes. Uh, Breer goes on to say that Goodell confirmed that the league and the union have discussed modifications to the protocols. And what Mark Maskey has put out there is they are considering, they are discussing reducing the time it would take for a uh, asymptomatic vaccinated player to return from a positive COVID nineteen test. Uh, Doctor Sills, Alan Sills, who's the medical uh, professional for uh, the medical expert for the NFL. Um, he says that the vast majority of these cases are Omicron, which actually has less symptoms involved, and that two-thirds of the positive cases are asymptomatic completely. See, if you're Cleveland, yeah. you lose all these guys for this week. Oh, by the way, let me add that. You're right. Goodell said they will not, they're, they're not considering postponing uh, or rescheduling the Cleveland game on Saturday, which many have said, why not an extra day? Why not move it to Sunday or Monday to allow wow. 17 players a chance to test out? Well, we know the reason because there's a television audience <laughs> right. sitting and waiting for that game. But, but, but here's the thing. If they change this protocol after Cleveland plays this game down 17 people, it's not a level playing field. And then Cleveland has every right to be furious and say, we lost this game in the heat You're of right. an AFC North battle where everybody's almost even and then for the next team for for you know the next division right. you've changed the testing protocol and people can get back in 
Well, and, and so we're the victims. Then the Browns fans can all, with pitchforks and torches, say, we were the victims of the old protocols, and you changed the rules along the way. And that's exactly what the NFL refused to do all the way till now, all of last year. They were trying to be consistent so that nothing happened that a team could claim that. So the You're start right. of that quote from Goodell, though, was we've been able to be so successful because we keep safety first and yada, yada, and yada. And are adaptable. Mm-hmm. But they've not really been adaptable. But again, like, what is, what is the measure of success? Just playing games? Yeah, for they want to get the season. With the bottom line, they're not yeah. preventing people from getting COVID. <laughs> I mean, that's evidenced by what we're seeing right now. So I don't – it's just – it's all so twisted up. Like, he's talking about success because they're playing games. But yet, the focal point of all this in the beginning was preventing people from getting COVID, from stopping the spread of it, and trying to play games. And now we've morphed as we've gotten more data – into something different where we're not even talking about what this originally started as. Let's say it's Vegas, right? So Vegas gets the benefit of Cleveland being down. Then Vegas has its outbreak and people come back faster. Vegas will have benefited twice while Cleveland gets screwed and they're competing for the same wild card, wild, wild card berth. That's a, a, a fascinating scenario yeah. with all this. Um, the, the other question I have with all this and it reading into what uh, Alan Sills, the chief medical officer, had to say today uh, because he went on NFL Network and um, the reports are that he he was saying that uh, the, the vast majority are Omicron uh, variant detection on these teams. Um, and he said there are more players than staff infected this week, which had not been the case previously. He says that two-thirds of this bout of cases are completely asymptomatic. And he also says that uh, the symptoms are far less severe with the Omicron. Well, if that's all true, at some point they have to ask, at least I would be asking, okay, they have COVID-19, the symptoms for the most part asymptomatic. They're not getting severely ill if they do have symptoms. At what point do we, do we just allow them to play with COVID-19? If the... like comparing it to other things that players play through all the time, if, if the symptoms are not severe and it's not affecting you like it was in 2020 with the original coronavirus, don't you have to ask the question, can't we just let these guys play? Well, it's yeah. good to see the virus getting stupider. It's supposed to mutate in ways that make it more difficult well, to deal far with. Here more, it's gotten But this softened. is supposed yeah. to be far more, it's it's more contagious, but it's less severe. Yeah, it's a cold. Right. I mean, right. so far, the symptoms are, it's, it's a So it's if a that's the case, uh, they have to be thinking, yeah, if you're asymptomatic and you test, you can well, play. Better yet, just don't test. Right. Well, that, I mean, we know, I know. How, we've known, you know when you're sick because you're sick. This is the way we've treated sports, work, life, Forever, but the, it's to the point now where if you just don't test, if someone gets sick and wants to go test for COVID or whatever, they can. But if they're this asymptomatic, just if you're sick, you're sick. Well, you could change it again later if there's a new variant that's much more harsh. Or and or, they, that's what Goodell's saying. They'll always be able to maneuver and get on the path that they want to get on. I think good news for people like me and I think us that just sort of want all this to go away. Uh, which is most people, this Omicron is so mild that I think that's helping with things right now. Yes. Because people aren't concerned with this and getting it. So that may get us 
now, closer and quicker to what we want, which is, to me, just not testing. Well, just comparing the NFL to the NHL, because they're both having big issues with their testing and, and positive tests, the NHL is going back to last year's protocols. They've announced that. So they're going to wear masks uh, and do everything that they were doing last year and daily testing. For the players. Miserable. And they're still yeah. going to play an uneven And they're still game. playing. That's right. Misery. Around the we corner. are back at it tomorrow. Blame Canada. Looking forward to talking with Trey Wallace and Armando Salguero and Outkick 360. Don't block the box. Do lock the locks.